I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. This is Dan Aykroyd, happy to be on Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. And I'm Brian. And we're in a car. We're on our way from Durham to Orlando, Florida, because we just spent the weekend at Moogfest 2016. Woo! Yes. This is, uh... We've been we've done episodes covering Moogfest uh, for many years now. We we covered it in 2010. We covered it in 2014, and uh, and here we are in 2016. Uh, that's not because we've been skipping years necessarily. It's because they have a very erratic schedule. Uh, Moogfest is a is a music and technology conference festival expo thing. It's it's a hybridization of events and a hybridization of subjects, but all subjects pointing towards the future. It's like a synthesis of ideas, right? I mean, you got technology, art, the intersection of the two. It's exactly what electronic music has always been and I think should be. So it's it's such a great festival. I'm, I'm so glad and honored to be with you on this journey. I'm so glad and honored to be with you on this journey for the second time. Exactly. Last year, or last time uh, was spectacular. And even though they did move from a different city to a new city now, well, not a new city, but uh, from (laughs) Asheville, which was lovely, to Durham, which is, I think, equally lovely, surprisingly, I didn't know. It's a different kind of city. Very different. Asheville's kind of a mountain hippie town, and Durham's a... a Sciency... University town. Yeah, but I mean, that's cool, too. Like, it was, yeah, it's a great place. And so, yeah, Moogfest 2016 was, um... I think right up there with 2014, for me at least, as a great, great experience. And, uh, I mean, we'll talk about all the fun, crazy things we've been through. Yeah, I guess uh, a little bit of an additional primer. If you're not familiar with the word Moog, it's spelled M-O-O-G, and um, which you probably know from this episode's title, Adoy. But um, (laughs) that's Adoy to me, not you. You're fine. You person listening. Uh, But uh, Moog is named after the Moog synthesizer, made by Bob Moog, um, a prolific synthesizer company uh, that fueled... Oh, we got... This is this is live coming from a car, so you may, <laughs> on occasion, hear the Google lady tell us things about cars and stuff. Um, anyway, very important guy, Bob Moog, and a festival dedicated to, in his honor and, uh, and co-produced by... Um, or at least produced in part with the uh, the Moog Music Company. 
Uh, their, their factory is based in Asheville, the, the city they were in before, but now they're in Durham um, because the city is uh, kind of more supportive of what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, the factory is still out of Asheville. In fact, if you buy a Moog, which I might have done this weekend. Might have. You uh, bought a Mother 22, motherfucker. A Mother 32, even. Oh, right. Which yeah. is the power of two. And I don't know why. I think that I forgot what the 32 comes from. It's, it's like the number of tracks. The numbers. Anyway. On the device, it says probably made in Asheville, or yeah, Asheville, says, North Carolina. It says probably. No, probably, probably, not probably. <laughs> Although probably would be even better. Well, c- considering that they were actually manufacturing some Moogs on site, yes, the, the answer is definitely probably. Yeah, for, no, that was really cool for the, the Moog D's. Uh, the new Mini Moog. Uh, I probably should look up the model. It's a Model I, D. Model D. Okay, I wasn't sure. It it was brought back into production, and this is one of those devices. The, the, the original Mini Moog that many, many kids and then, you know, adults, of course. I mean, it's not a kid device by any means. Several thousand dollar, beautiful, you know, machine. Grew up or got early on in their careers. In fact, I think Daniel Lenoir and at least one other artist specifically mentioned that they had one of these when they were a kid. Well, and that was what led them down the Well, lucky bloody path. them. Jesus Christ. I know, That right? kind of machine in your home. Yeah. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the event, uh, everything we experienced, the performances we saw, the discussions we saw, because Moogfest isn't just performers making music. It's also conversations with futurists, people from the tech industry, uh, science fiction writers. It's, it's a really multidisciplinary it's it's funny I was doing a bunch of write-ups for it because our cover like this is nerdy shows coverage but the the coverage that I was sent here to really do was for my work with consequence of sound the music and film website that I'm art director of and um, it uh, I don't I lost my train of thought I've been up all night writing articles <laughs> um, so I'm gonna you're doing great <laughs> I'm gonna get derailed on occasion I'm gonna find some things that, that aren't funny extremely funny um, that's what's up. Brian, he slept a bit. Um, I'm okay. I mean, I'm awake enough to drive. I don't know if I'm awake enough to podcast, but it's going to be fine. We're gonna, it's, you're going to love this whole journey. Yeah. As we, as we will. A physical journey, a spiritual journey. An aural journey. The band Journey did not perform. Surprise! Well, no, is that, not, they're still together, right? They're, they're, still, they're still together, just Steve Perry isn't the that's lead singer right. anymore. Yeah, yeah. They would be an interesting fit. I mean, here's the thing. Like... Well, my first year, 2014, I had no idea what to expect, and I was treated to bands like Pet Shop Boys and Croftwork and, um, oh gosh, now I can't remember, there was another, another very well-known band there. Um, but this year, it was different, right? Well, there was, there was uh, Nile Rodgers and Chic. Oh, that's right, yes. Oh, man, oh, what course. a show. Oh, and, and Giorgio Moroder, yeah. who I was embarrassed to admit then... I did not know. Thankfully, that has been rectified, and uh, there's another thing about maybe that I'll, I'll, we'll talk about later. But this year, it was very, uh, I, I would I would dare say that less older musical legends, oh, Keith Emerson was the other one Yeah. Um, before he passed away. Um, but this year, other than maybe Gary Newman, who I certainly knew of, but you know, I had not kept up with his you know, work, a lot of the groups were less musical legends, more up-and-coming or established electronic arts, you know, groups. Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's count, count down some of, some of the people, the, the performers, the musicians uh, that were present at this year, because you're right, there weren't, there weren't many 
of the legendary category this year, and it's probably because uh, Moog's playing it safe. Yeah. Um, because their exit from uh, Asheville and with whatever partners that they were with in the prior year was somewhat financially disastrous. Um, and I don't really know the details of that, so I'm not going to go into it. I just know that they're, it's a miracle we still have Moogfest, and, I'm, and they didn't miss a beat in transition, but it is a bit different. I think they're being a little bit more conservative with how they're spending their money, but not for it didn't in any way diminish their programming. Oh, yeah, absolutely um, not. I mean, honestly, I almost, as much as I would have loved to have experienced another, like, legendary group, you know, like whoever, I don't even know how I got off on that thing. I think, who, who are we talking about? Oh, oh, Journey. Like, <laughs> if they had brought in Journey, that would have been amazing, right? <laughs> I don't know if it would have been on point, but it would have been amazing. Well, I don't know. Like, the thing is... Especially, I, but, okay, it would have been... It would have been cool, it but it would have been, cool. been amazing if they convinced Steve Perry to reunite with Journey. Oh, well, of course. And we should... I feel that we're on the, the, the cusp of a tangent that we definitely should not <laughs> go down because there's so much hole. more to talk about. I understand. Otherwise, you get me started on Journey, and you know... Oh, boy. They say the road ain't no place to start a family, Brian. <laughs> oh, jeez. You're right. This is dangerous waters. Let's, 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 let's steer something uh, a little uh, less treacherous. Um, we so got to yeah. go our separate ways from that conversation. That's all right. That's all right. Um, that was a, that was a journey joke. See, and this is where <laughs> I should know these things. And yet, journey lyrics. I don't spend enough time with my partner's karaoke thing. I think that's what I'm saying. Because mm. I would I would probably know more journey lyrics if I did. Anyhow, uh, Gary Newman. Uh, in fact, not only was Gary Newman there and performing his um, the the second two way army record and the first two Gary Newman solo records and for you Gary Newman layman's out there, of which I am actually somewhat included, uh, that yes, Cars was among them, <laughs> the tracks played um, so uh, we we're actually have an interview with Gary Newman uh, he, he, re- he was the recipient of this year's Moog Innovation Award and um, he was presented with his own new, brand new Moog Model D and afterwards there was a and a which I was the the Q part of, and was, he was the A part. That's so cool. And there's a YouTube video of it, I believe. Th- there well. is, but we're going to straight up play some audio recorded of that oh, in this episode. Even better, even better. Uh, it's it's a bit boxy. Probably pro- the audio for this is boxy. This is going to be a very raw, <laughs> weird sounding episode, and I apologize for that because I value quality. But um, yeah. So anyway, um, Gary, just the list of people. Gary, Gary Newman. Newman. Yep. Um, Reggie Watts. Yes. Did he actually perform? He did. Okay. I saw him. Okay. Um, I know he talked several it, times. It, it, was, it was outdoors. There was a gigantic crowd. It was fantastic. Um, one of my, uh, I already mentioned, but one of my favorite ambient electronic um, pedal guitar player, and that's kind of a specific subject. That is extremely specific. But this guy... Good Daniel, thing we're on a nerdy show. Yeah. Daniel Lenoir is a name that, if you're not familiar with directly, you've heard his stuff in many other different bands. He worked with Brian Eno, uh, who you've also, I'm sure, in this audience, you've definitely heard of. Like, they've worked as producers on uh, albums for, like, U2. I think they did Joshua Tree together with them. Um, Lenoir mentioned working with Bonnie Raitt on one of her albums. Weird. Um, Yeah, like, a lot of... Oh, I'm sorry. Bonnie Raitt as well, but Amy Lou Harris was the one he told a story about. Weird. So yeah, like he gets around. He's a very prolific writer and has done, I believe, some soundtrack work. 
Um, he mentioned in one of the shows what he did. Anyway, so, now he's another luminary um, that performed really late. Well, you know, and the, Laurie Anderson, was, Laurie Anderson. Could, could fall into that legendary artist category. And she actually was slated to perform at a prior Moogfest and had to bow out uh, early on in the process, as I recall. Oh, wow. Um, so Laurie Anderson not only performed, but there was a, uh, a long discussion with her on, on a separate day as well. And if you're not familiar with her work... Um, I'm not sure that you that you would be if you're not. You'd have to seek it out because she's I mean, she's an amazing, absolutely like one of my like probably. I, I I would say that she's she's one of my creative idols. She's um, and, and I I will admit, and I have many friends who have tried to sort of get me up to speed on her because I had not really heard much more than Oh Superman. I believe. Which is which is a, a song she did in, in on her 1982 record Big Science and was some by some strange providence an eight minute long song <laughs> topped the charts even though it was super weird and like that is amazing in itself but like I had never experienced her before and I really think she is a profound storyteller like all of the awesome things that I appreciate about the art of story you know on like the people on like the moth this american life all these other shows like she she originally she originated she did that years before it was a thing and she does it really well and then on top of that she's an incredible musician and then on top of that like she's demonstrating this awesome bizarre very homespun music uh electronic music stuff the freaking speaker in her mouth nonsense that was bizarre <laughs> and amazing and even though I couldn't see it very clearly, I'm sure there are good pictures online. It was still really effing cool. Uh, she, oh. she said this. She said she's done a lot of experiments with with violins over the years. It's her predominant instrument. Um, one of her most famous ones is a tape bow violin, where she took um, you know cassette tape and stuck it on the bow, and then had the, the the head reader on the base of the of the the violin, so she would play it and it would go back back and forth. Um, which is interesting, at the very least. Um, but this, uh, so she does lots of weird instruments, and this is a something called a, a pillow speaker, I believe, or a pillow phone, and and it's like a it's a speaker. It's meant as some kind of like a a device to teach you German in your sleep or something like that. And, and so she she found that if she like I guess remodulated it and stuck it in her mouth and played it like one of those what are the things that that I Peter Frampton. Box. Yeah, is that what they're called? Uh, talk box. Talk box. Yeah, yeah, from like you know, from Frampton comes alive. Do you, do you feel like you do that that thing? I don't know. That's, that's kind of sound like Randy Newman, but yeah. um, uh, she puts it in her mouth and no, she can sing like a violin. It was incredible. It sounded really cool for what she said was a fairly low cost home job. And I love the story she told about how the glue leaked out at an event and actually like. It cemented it to the roof of her mouth, <laughs> and she had to rush to a drugstore just to get something uh, from the pharmacist to pry it off. And this is all right before her performance. Like, just so, so she did a great job of playing her material, her high, uh, finely tuned and honed her stories. But she also is very like accessible and, and and you know didn't answer questions at the thing I went to. Probably the thing you went to. Yeah, she did. did there but was like, the Q&A, yeah. The, um, the, the off-the-cuff stories I almost enjoyed as much because it really showed you the difference between the two performance styles or, or the two types of material. So I really thoroughly enjoyed that, and I highly recommend it. If yeah. she ever 
what comes to your town or goes to your university, which evidently she goes to Florida a lot for somewhere. The uh, University of Florida has co-bankrolled some of her recent projects. So if you're ever in the Gainesville area, and uh, hopefully she'll come back down there soon, I would I would highly recommend you guys go check it out. Lori Anderson and uh, and Lou Reed was also at, at the show, that the, but 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 not obviously Lou Reed was with us in spirit, but not physically. Um, I was going to so, say, did uh, I miss something? Lori Anderson was the first um, performance I ever covered for Consequence of Sound, oh, a performance okay. at which her husband, Lou Reed, was also was also there and did do some sh- uh, performances with her. Oh, wow. Um, uh, other quick shout-outs to people who were there who you may have heard of, uh, Mike Snow, Jizza, um, uh, Health, Grimes, um... Odessa, um, Tim Hecker. DJ Lance Rock was doing a Yo Gabba Gabba thing with Mark Mothersbaugh. Yes, he was. <laughs> Apparently, Brian saw some, but it didn't turn out so great. It was a little bit of a mess, but you know what? It's still fun because he's a fun character, and Mark Mothersbaugh is a crazy, awesome musician. And Bootsy Collins showed up at the end, and uh, it was a mess, but it was fun, and it was for kids. They, they really wanted to have, and I think they did a good job of programming content for not just you know, us dude bros that are into electronic music, oh, me, you know, myself at least, um, but also like kids and, and women. I felt several times, not only did I see a lot of women there, which I'm not surprised by at all, but like they made a point to solicit and get women on stage to ask questions or just, like they went out of their way to make sure that they were being very respectful of, 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 of gender and gender identity at this festival. Well, I mean, a lot of people who run uh, Moog are women. Yeah. And and so and, and and there's there I guess and there's a lot of there's a lot of women in electronic music. Absolutely. But for some for the I guess for the same reasons as every other thing where women get marginalized, they're not seen so much. In fact, Brian, you had a story from a, a prolific. Um, uh, female synth artist who I, I wasn't aware of, at least I didn't know I was aware of, and she had a story, which you should tell right um, now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Cap. Um, Suzanne Chiani, um, not a household name, admittedly, but I first became aware of her back when I was teaching electronic music at UCF, and I became aware of her not as an electronic musician, but as a new age ambient pianist. I was going to say, Brian, Brian showed me some of her stuff. If you like 80s new age... Like as much as I do, you're gonna love this lady. If you're into that, if you're into that deep in your cuts, deep. and you know what I'm talking about, then you're gonna want to listen to Susanciani. It's it's, it's <laughs> kind of funny. We were looking at her album art. We were talking about it. And there's definitely influence there that they shared among other artists. But but Susanciani really actually cut her teeth in the commercial world, doing music and sound design with the Bukla. The Bukla is kind of up there with the Moog as one of the very predominant families of synthesizers in, in America. Um, you basically had even sort of an on-again, off-again rivalry between Moog and Bukla. But um, the story she told at her durational installation, which was a four-hour performance of hers on the last day, and, you know, she performed. Were you there for all four hours? Oh, no, no. God, no. I mean, I would probably have enjoyed it because when I did get there, she was still performing, but she was also discussing what she was doing, which so often in electronic music is not the case. You don't have a performance where the artist says, okay, now I'm mixing this patch. Now I'm using this instrument. You just don't know. It's just a gestalt. But she would talk about what she was changing, what she was doing, and that was fascinating in itself. 
the story came at the end of the performance when she took some questions and they asked her about her early days with Buchla because she actually worked for him as a soldering uh, worker in his factory. That was how she got her introduction to electronic music. And it turns out that she even, like, she was so interested in learning, she asked for Buchla to teach a class on electronics and synthesis so that they understood what they were building. And he did, and he had one class with her and the rest of the engineering group that wanted to do it. They were all guys. And then they asked her before the second class to not come back because they have decided that the clash should be only men. This is, to me, like, and I'm sure to most of you... When was that, the 1960s? Probably the late 60s, early 70s. I'm not sure exactly, but it's in that era. So, yes, okay, you've watched Mad Men, you know, if you're, if you're not old enough, you know, from that era or whatever. If, you, if you've seen Mad Men, you understand that during that time, women were treated really, really badly in the workplace. But to me, like, this is even more egregious, like... That you you have this this, this just woman who's a who's a musician. She was a trained pianist, at, you know. At um, if she said the school, but anyway, very highly regarded pianist on a fellowship out in California, and she just wanted to learn. And she just had she took this job because she wanted to be in that space with all this cool, interesting technology being created, and then to go out of her way to ask for this thing, and then be excluded from it. And the fact that she, to this day. One of the first things she did in this con- in this festival was a tribute concert to this dude who basically had to kick her out of the class for being a woman. Like, she has definitely made peace with it, but it's, you know, she had a lot of struggle uh, in that industry, I think, in part because of her gender, which is awful. And the fact, like, I am a huge proponent. In fact, I, I saw a picture of uh, Wendy Carlos yeah. at, at the Moog factory, and I, I took a picture because, you know, she is one of my inspirations, and she was a... Wendy Carlos, who scored Tron, yep. perhaps most famously. For most famously that, and the switched on Bach. But, like, she is the biggest proponent uh, of Moog. I mean, without her early work on the Moog synthesizers, it is doubtful that Moog would have caught on as much as it did. Um, and, and again, a pioneering woman uh, of trans uh, identity, actually very, one of the probably first trans people I ever knew of growing up and, and learning about that. So like, you know, her and Susan Chiani, like to me, stand out now as these god goddesses among of these synthesis. So yeah, I was thrilled to get to, to meet her, to hear her play, I mean, it, it was it was great. I'm so glad they had her there. Yeah, that sounds like really, really, really quite quite amazing. And and and, and there was there was a lot of like like you were saying, there was just a, a lot of programming emphasizing that. And I think as like in no, I don't know. This is it's definitely not not tandem to it, but but it was this was an important Moog Fest for a lot of reasons. Um, and among the important reasons as far as social implications go is that right now maybe you're listening to this in the future and you're going to laugh at this but we're in the midst of uh the 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 trans person bathroom crisis of north carolina uh with a with a really shitty bill that was passed that um outlaws trans people from using the bathroom uh with the gender assignment that they identify with um and it's a dumb law. It's really quite dumb. Well, it's dumb especially because it was unnecessary. Yeah. Charlotte, just a real quick thing so you know, Charlotte, the city, um, beautiful North Carolina city. I thought there. you meant the spider. Oh, no. <laughs> Which would have been a weird like, tie-in to Charlotte passed the anti-discrimination law that basically said 
you cannot be punished for having, uh, you cannot be excluded, you cannot be whatever for your gender identity. Um, and gender expression, you know. Mm -hmm. I apologize, first of all, I get these terms backwards sometimes and I am a dumb, cisgendered homosexual, so if I screw up, please know, there's no offense intended. Um, but yeah, they passed this law and the governor and the legislature of North Carolina were so pissed off that they would dare do something like this to protect people, but you know, their side they would say to infringe on their religious liberties by saying you can't discriminate, um, which to me is so antithetical to religion, but whatever, or to my understanding. They went out of their way and in 24 hours passed this HB2 legislation that basically doesn't just say trans people can't, um, you know, you have to use the bathroom of your gender, uh, your biological, you know, original gender, whatever. No, they went out of their way and said no city, no county, nobody but the state of North Carolina de can define this kind of um, exclusion or this kind of protection. So basically they defined it and they excluded, specifically excluded that gender identity. So yeah, it's a huge mess. And thank God, because so many performers have, have canceled their shows. Yeah, well, I, Bruce Springsteen, Maroon 5. Maroon 5 most recently, um, yep. They, they all uh, boycotted North Carolina, not to slight their fans there, but to to show, as a, as a sign to the state, that they didn't want to draw money uh, to a state where the government was going to benefit from that in right. some way. And that's a really tricky issue because while those are important political statements and it's definitely drawn attention to what's going on there, in the meantime, there are events like Mopefest, like Heroes Con, like North Carolina Comic Con, that are all independent festivals in liberal towns with liberal-minded people. There's many, many liberal cultural centers in North Carolina, it's a fantastic state with clearly, a, a, you know, an administration much like our own dearly beloved Florida that does yep. not even remotely represent its people. Uh -huh. um, and uh, and so, so Moogfest staged the entire festival. It's really what we're getting to. This is the roundabout <laughs> point of this whole thing. Moogfest staged the festival as a weekend-long protest of this ruling. Not a single artist canceled because they all wanted to stand in solidarity with the GLBTQ people there uh, who were, they were, who the festival was working in tandem with and so on and so forth. So it was... They it, even had the, um, a couple installation pieces re re reflecting that or reacting that. One of them I actually got to see was called Body Scrub and it was this short little theatric um, interlude set right outside and involving people going into a bathroom. And this was in the main like theater that a lot of the show, uh, a lot of the various shows were at. And at first, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I see people like crowded around a bathroom. I'm like, oh my god, is everything okay? What's going on? And you know, then of course, who's you know, shitting blood? Can yeah. I see? Oh, yes. <laughs> and and surprisingly, that was not after the uh, the night of noise, if you will, uh, of one of the programming they did, where they had some really loud and intense uh, music. What was that dude's name? Um, ben Frost. Ben, okay, Ben Frost. Yeah, you heard a rumor, Brian, that this guy's. <laughs> Uh, and he was, he's like a really like atmospheric composer. I, frankly, I wasn't into it at all, but apparently his decibels were so out of control in this old theater that plaster was falling down and hitting people. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone was injured, but it was one of those things that they actually moved a group out of this venue, Sun O, uh, and that's Sun with two N's and O with, uh, with uh, parentheses, 
Um, they moved them to an outdoor venue because they were worried about the decibel levels that they would reach. Uh, but then this guy comes in and, and you know blew the roof off. But anyway, um, the bathroom thing, it was, it was like these two people coming in and out of bathrooms and this one person specifically going in and then sort of being like, what looked like kicked out. So I mean, you know, it was set to music, and there was a woman singing at the end, and it was it was it was very brief, but it got the point across that you know this issue is is certainly affecting people, and I think galvanizing people, and, and unfortunately both sides. Uh, but Moogfest handled it beautifully. The only thing I'm sad is I didn't get the synthesized love T-shirt that they were selling um, at the at the event. I missed out if I had only found them earlier. Um, and it's beautiful. It's got um, a patch cable uh, in the shape of a heart. So it's it's a really lovely symbol. And all the money and proceeds uh, from it, uh, I think, uh, what was the store? Um, well, it was Urban Outfitters. Urban Outfitters is partnering with them to make this. And uh, it, uh, you know, it's supposedly available online. So if you look for it, you might be able to find it. But yeah, it, it was, all the proceeds are going to fight this discrimination. And we went to the rally. Yeah. Uh, on the very first day yeah. um, that they had in support of, uh, or rather in a, a opposing HB2 at yeah. the event. And you got up and spoke very well, I think, and it was really nice to oh, thanks, have Brian. different people representing different communities um, uh, to, at this event. And it was, uh, unfortunately, it was being rained on a lot. So it would have probably had more people if it had been uh, less rainy. But, uh, but it was still really awesome that they, they gave that uh, time. Uh, for that uh, that cause, yeah, yeah, a lot of just a lot a lot of good things happening around. That. So let's let's go to the actual the, the the meat of it. We've been talking for almost like thirty minutes on just periphery stuff, um, though well, elaborating at, at times. Um, so, uh, do you guys remember Neil Harbison? He's the world's first government recognized cyborg. We um, we actually did an interview with him prior to. Moogfest in 2014, it was pretty fascinating. The brief version is, he was born without the ability to perceive color, and so uh, made himself a cyborg, and allowed him to, to, to see, with air quotes, color in a really profound way. He has a device called an eyeborg that is drilled into his skull, and dangles kind of like a quail feather over his head, and it has a sensor on it that sees frequencies of light from infrared through ultraviolet, so beyond the normal human spectrum in addition to the normal human spectrum, and transposes those into um, tones, a full um, a full complement of, a, of what's, what, what is it called, a multi, uh, well, very a very complex array of tones. Um, oh, you think like multimodal or multi? Uh, that is not the word I was looking uh, for, but, but it's, like, again, I'm Running on no sleep here, so uh, bear, bear with. Um, anyhow, the uh, polyphonic, not polyphonic. Damn it! Uh, it's it's in my article on consequence. I did use the correct terminology, <laughs> and I will refer you to the article on consequence. It's a great sound. article. I trust me. I really. Uh, I, Brian, you contributed to I it. I did. I just wrote a little bit of it, but I was really. Uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled that it uh, captured. I think very well, especially your intro. Oh, thanks. The, the the spirit of the festival in a way that. Is uh, you know it's, it, it doesn't it's hard in in a, in a brief podcast to really give a, a, a true flavor for this show so you know that intro touches on a lot of it and we're trying to as well but you know the more you can read up on all these different things and performances and um, maybe it'll entice you to come back 
next year. Yeah, next year. It's already been announced um, May 18th through 21st uh, in Durham, and that's really exciting because I wasn't sure if we were going to get a date yet, yeah. and we did. Um, but yeah, so talk about. I, will, I love Neil. Like, I, I, I've actually not seen a lot of his stuff, and I and I did check out the interview. But you got to talk about his craziness, like the thing he did um, at the show with the dude. Okay, <laughs> here's here's the thing he did at the show with the dude. Um, uh, he. He's a multimedia artist, as is like fucking everybody at Moakfest. Um, and he does a lot of, a lot of work with the um, expressing the way he perceives color. Um, and in this case, he did a kind of whimsical, spontaneous piece of performance art, uh, which... <laughs> which let, me, let me pull up the, the specific name here, because it's a, it's, a, it's a great name. A Cyborg Synesthetic Pedicure. So he teamed up with a guy named Pau Reba, who's a Catalonian uh, artist and writer, um, old dude, 68 years old. Um, Reba comes out, wandering through the audience barefoot, singing and so on, then gets up on top of an um, elevated chair, and Neil Harbison starts painting his toes, and then taking the tones from his eyeborg and having them play underneath it, so it's like a, it's, it'll start with just a single beep, a single continuous, well, like, not continuous, but like, boop, boop, and actually a long tone, yeah. Yeah, you'll hear this, because we're going to play this for you at the end of the episode. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and then Reba w- would start to improvise guitar and vocals over the top of it, and the other tones would come into play, um, a microtonal, is the word I was looking for. Oh, microtonal. Okay. Um, and uh, oh, in fact, the listeners can try it out. They have, I think, Android, right? There's an app for it. Yes, there is an app for it. There's going to be an app for Apple as well. But at, currently, with Android, you can actually he- there's an iBoard app. You can you can hear what Neil sees. Um, and uh, uh, so so that there was this this very strange improvised performance where like you know of of guitar. And tones from a pedicure. That's just like when you were describing it originally. I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." And, you know, and, and the pictures. There's pictures too of this, and it's it's just a great idea. It's one of those uh, performance art things. Again, that, I'll refer you to Consequences Sound for the pictures. Yeah, no, they're the uh, they're they're up there, and it's seriously like I'm sad I didn't go to it just because of the uniqueness of the performance. Um, Definitely only at Moogfest, and yep. probably only ever going to happen <laughs> ever there. Um, so, what else did you see that you really, really? Uh, Know, latched on to that you really love. Oh man, so um, much, right? So much. Moogfest is a festival exclusively of hard decisions. Oh my god. Well, like we were talking today, yesterday, the last day of the show. Like I had a plan. You, you schedule stuff out. There's a there's a site now they use, and you pick which ones you want. But you know, life gets in the way. Things happen, and then you don't end up going to the thing you wanted to go to. But then you check the schedule again, and you go, "Holy shit, I missed this other thing," or this. This, I didn't even know this person was here. Todd Macover from MIT's Media Lab originally, one of the, like, the first um, digital, or it's not digital, uh, hyper-instruments. He's a creator of hyper-instruments, and basically these are new ways to perform electronic music. Um, and he did this thing called the Brain Opera, 
you know, 20-ish years ago that I went to as a kid and, like, totally blew my head away and just made me love electronic music even more. But, um, like, you know, he was there giving a talk, and I totally missed it because there's just little footnotes in some of the programs, and you, you, you just you blow past it. Scott McCloud of Understanding Comics was there for uh, a hot second on a, one little panel. You I know? think he was on a couple panels, actually. Well, was he? Okay, he, well, it, but the he same was, guy. But he was working with, like, with this, this panel with some people from Google's creative yeah. teams. Google Doodles, um, oh, I can't the, the, the team behind Garrett. Watson was Garrett. also there in force. Um, uh, yes, the Watson thing. In fact, I went to, you and I both went to different classes that they had about the Blue Mix platform and specifically what Watson's doing. This, this, is, this is Watson, IBM's uh, computer that uh, famously won Jeopardy and is now, like... In in now actually a recent news news bite is that Watson uh, Watson systems are being used by law firms several law firms in the country only one of which has been identified. Well, I mean, what they're doing is they're cloud sourcing the the platform so that anybody who registers and you know, it's it's like the AWS thing on Amazon or it's like other uh, I think Azure it's so you pay for per transaction and so you can actually deploy software using their very um, complicated and very uh, well-trained neural network systems to do different operations. There's actually one that's pretty cool, and it's kind of a gimmick, but you know that, that, that admittedly it's, it's for, for fun. You can go on and put your Twitter handle in, and it will tell you who of quote-unquote celebrities, it's called Celebrity Match, you are closest to. And I did that, I found out I'm pretty close to the creator of... Uh, Psychically? Psychically, but um, <laughs> that would be even cooler. But no, personality matrix-wise is the different uh, psychological profiles. It's uh, the matchmate with Seth MacFarlane, which I thought was kind of fascinating because huh. I do love Seth MacFarlane. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, so they they use their neural network. Can I do that on my phone, like right uh, now? Yeah, you probably can. All right, I'm looking. Um, I think it's celebrity match. Celebrity match. All right. Well, uh, so yeah, so like, so you know, Watson was there. Um, they had lectures on how to build synthesizers. I sat in and actually started building my own little uh, synthesizer chip. Uh, Dr. Blankenstein did that. He's out of New York. Um, they had a talk on building interactive um, software for music in a like performance space. I went to a talk. Um, I went to that one. It, it, you know, it was a great idea generating session. I actually, by the end of the two-hour block, had this plan to build this kind of cool system where you could use a squeeze ball to modif- modulate and change uh, the pitch of, of, of a performance, a uh, live performance. So, I mean, like, you know, that's something I probably wouldn't have done on my own. Like, it was a really interesting kind of wa- uh, road to walk down, but the facilitator there has done that work, uh, Luisa is her name, and like just you know, had us all playing with music apps on our phones and learning from them and then applying those same ideas using um, Eno's oblique strategies to generate new ideas and do new systems. So, you know, again, crazy, like, awesome. And, and that and that might sound like complete nonsense to you. And if not, <laughs> keep, please keep listening because we'll be talking about some other stuff. Yeah, you, you think be, that's crazy. That might make sense to you, but it'll be nonsense to someone else. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Here, here's my. I don't know who the fuck this is. Um, now, granted, I'm terrible at social networking myself, so my Twitter handle is doesn't do much stuff. I was paired with Rob Dyerdick, D Y R D E K. I have no idea who this person is. I don't either. 
I think the original, like, it gives you a couple, it may give you another name further down or something. Uh, but it, it, what is interesting is it basically it's analyzing your, uh, your tweets and sort of based on the things you're talking about, some of the word choices, tonal choices, it, it, it basically reads your personality. And I'll tell you, from all the different parameters it, it, it gave me, you know, one to nine or whatever, I didn't disagree with much of it. <laughs> I was like, well... This is pretty much a good reflection of me. Okay, here's the rest of my most similars. Goddamn. Wes Craven. Uh, sure. Okay. Um, Salman Khan. I don't know who that is. Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi. Okay, that's that's interesting. Ronda Rousey. <laughs> what? And Tony Hawk. <laughs> okay, that's bizarre. Like, that's suspect. I, I would I, go so far as I, to say. I regret to say that Allison Hannigan is rated... In the top of the most different from you know, it. I got her in that same. Uh, this must be sampling well. from a really small pool. I knew something I do now, and I'm going to do this again while we're talking about Mokefest. Yeah, yeah, yeah try somebody else because you can put I'm, in anybody. I'm going to put Nerdy Show in there. Oh, there. Okay, that'll be more. Which uh, will be interesting because we, we just we self promote an awful lot, so I don't know how this is going to proceed. It's going to say you're a narcissist. And... Um. Uh. Right. So. Uh, that Neil Harbison thing was great, and you asked me like, what else did I see that was that was phenomenal, and that the answer is so many things. Um. My favorite band performance, uh, without question, was uh, was Yacht. Um, they're one of my favorite uh, current era bands, like dancey art pop stuff. Um, if you like Talking Heads and the comic books of Warren Ellis, you <laughs> might you might also like Yacht. I've never made that connection, but I actually do think there is a that, that's, that's good. I had been not been familiar with them other than two years ago when you uh, you interviewed uh, Claire. Claire Evans, yeah. Um, and then I found out about them, and then their newest album I actually really enjoyed. Um, so I'm really glad they were there again. Although, as is the case last time, I missed them yet again. <laughs> the venue they were in was the Motorco uh, Concert Hall? Uh, music Hall, yeah. Music Hall. And oh my God, it is, it is tiny. Like... Very, um, very narrow, and uh, yeah, hard to get in. And uh, I was very sad that it uh, was so good, man. I, I, the the energy is uh, so high, and like Claire and Jonna, and like the band, like they're they're so, like she's a crazy performer. Like yeah. she's so emotive. And you went to I, her. Uh, you went to her talk. Yeah, as well, I did. Right? I mean, I just she's. I just I can't express enough that she's like. A pretty amazing person, yeah. and uh, and I did I did go to her talk. Um, it was called "The Future Is Unmanned," and it was a brief history of um, of women and uh, computing. computing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, beginning with when the word "computer" meant a job in which someone does math. Sure. Um, and basically, the the world as the 20th century began. And a little bit into the early 19th century was, um, or late 19th century was run by women, uh, rooms full of women yep. doing math problems. Yeah, I mean that, that is exactly what I was going to say. The, the, the first real, real people computers were women, like tons of them, and and then even some of the early pioneers that you hear about, you know, Christina Lovelace in some ways, Grace Hopper. I think I get that right. I mean, yeah, Grace, Grace Hopper. Yeah, like. One of my idols as a, as a as a software engineer myself, like she basically invented modern computer programming. Totally. And and the men that she was working for 
she had to convince them that programming a computer was even a thing worth doing. Exactly, exactly. No, I mean, we, if you can conceive that. We would not be where we are in any way, shape, or form. We wouldn't have this podcast. I mean, the, she is directly responsible for so much. and, and, and so. Even the term computer bug derived from a literal instance. I, the bug story is one of those you know you always hear in computer school or computer science, and it's so funny because you just don't think about oh it's a bug, but yeah, literally found I think it was like a fly or a it was a moth. Was it a moth in the punch card machines that they used to use to put their programs through and process and the supercomputers that they had, and like that is what derailed the code. It wasn't a logic error. It wasn't a syntax error. It was a physical bug. I love it. And so, so Claire's talk spent, uh, spun from not just these early computers, where, uh, but like you know, to the programmers who then went on. And there was a time where there were the, the percentage of women working in computers with the real like nuts and bolts of of programming and coming up with new ways to wire the hardware and everything. And and in the case of like when computers were the, the name of the job, physically being the hardware uh, represented like far beyond the number of men involved yeah. um, and uh, and then all she, she took that that dialogue all the way to the 90s with the cyber feminism movement and uh, really interesting faces in and around the early internet um, have you ever heard of a group called the VNS matrix no oh my god um, uh, I'm trying to the, the, the future is unmanned is one of their their lines um, of, of they have many like kind of manif- manifestos and so on. Um, she, uh, it's the future. It, it features that man is the, the tentatively the name of a book she's writing on this subject, which might come out next year. I'm so grateful that she has taken this because that is going to be such a treasure for computer scientists and for women who are are frustrated with, unfortunately, very still. Uh, you know they're. They're, they're few and far between in some programs. They're getting it's better and better every year. When I was in grad school, like there was maybe two, you know, in our yeah. class. But like you know now, and every time I hear more, like I, and, and even teaching uh, programming, like I see more and more women in classes, and I'm so happy because there is nothing to me that is uniquely one gender or the other about coding that, that at least should be. She she's digging really deep on this, and uh, and it's it's gonna. I mean, just based on the. Uh, uh, the the lecture alone, like it's going to be fantastic. Awesome. Um, she's she's quite a good writer. Um, I I would highly recommend her her book of um, essays and interviews, um, which I don't remember the name of off the top of my head right now. But I've mentioned it on Nerdy Show Book Club. I'm pretty sure. Um, I so, mean, I'm I'm almost got it, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna f- force you to put up with dead air over that. So your favorite performance was Scott. Um, We'll pick a, pick one more performance. And you know, of course, you love Laurie Anderson's performance. Pick one other uh, musical group that you think was really. Well, what's what? What surprised you? What surprised me? Let's see. Uh, I mean, first of all, let me say that uh, I'm very happy with the result for Nerdy Show's assessment of our Twitter celebrity. Oh, nice. Um, we're Pee Wee Herman. Oh. As in Paul Rubin's <laughs> official account. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really quite pleased with that. Okay, good. So, All so right. okay, I can walk away from this and not feel too bitter. Um, <laughs> anyhow, what um, surprised you? What, what performance what, really just you didn't know, you didn't expect, and oh my god, it blew you away. Uh, musically, I don't think I was actually surprised too much. Okay. Um, I, I, I had expectations, and they were, they were met or exceeded, but never, 
like I, ne- I didn't have a zero to eighty kind of experience uh, with any of the musical performances. I saw I enjoyed seeing Mike Snow. Uh, I'd seen them before at at Ultra, um, but I think I like their Ultra performance better than this one. Okay. Uh, but the thing in general, the thing that that really surprised me was uh, a, a talk on techno shamanism, and and what that is in brief is the idea that. Um, The principles of of magic, of uh, of so let's say any kind of uh, native practices and all that, like tapping into the fields of the earth, certain certain degrees of new age spiritual belief and so on. But let's say the ones most rooted in the practices that of the time honored traditions of our ancestors. Uh, let's say this is going to be difficult for some people for the for words like shamanism and so on to even be, that people sometimes they have adverse reactions Absolutely, to these words yeah and when i first um, read that this was a, a whole track i was a little taken aback like techno shamanism was not a whole track oh i thought they had a, well the, they had a, they had several programs of the same kind of techno shamanism stuff uh, just the one i'm pretty no, sure no, well okay so if they didn't add no, I think they transhumanism no 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 tra- no techno shamanism because they had a performance on sunday that i did not go to but they had other uh, other aspects. Well, there was there was a. It may have been the same people. A, a guy did build a cabalistic synthesizer. And I think that was that the same talk or a different one. Um, no, you're right, Brian. You're right. There was wait no the program themes. There wasn't a track. No, yep. There was a there was a techno shamanism track. I'm sorry. No, no, it's all right because I, it, it, again, it, I am one of those people who I have a hard time and a weird relationship with magic. And even though I've really bought into some of like the Alan Moore sort of modern interpretations or... I, um, I guess that, that's the best way for, for anyone to look at this because like, it's a kind of complicated explanation. But, I mean, you basically mix the principles of of the concept of a, mes- of a metaphysical reality with technology. So if you're a reader of any of Alan Moore's books, um, you might kind of get where this is going. <laughs> um, so... Hypothetically, if there's any truth to the metaphysical nature of our reality, uh, souls, multiversal uh, layering of reality, um, past lives, future lives, any of that stuff, uh, the, the further, the deeper we go into science, the further we'll get to understanding that. And we might even not realize at first that what we're, what we're doing is unlocking something that uh, it's been there all along. It's been there all along. That we ourselves have perceived in our subconscious and our collective unconscious, and so on and so forth. Now, I think this is a very fascinating concept, and I know if you've uh, if you partake in certain uh, psychotropic substances, hallucinogenics, and so on, uh, the these concepts become more valid because you're shown things, whether they be figments of the human mind under the influence or not. That uh, that have a certain kind of metaphysical realization. You you know it's <laughs> you, you become your own god particle. You're the little you're the Higgs boson. Uh, so uh, I don't and have never done any hallucinogens, but the concepts are all quite fascinating to me. Um, and this talk was fantastic. It was a one man show by a guy called Michael Garfield, who's a um, a cat. Well, Sorry, it was easy. It was too easy. Uh, 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a musician. He's a painter. Uh, I think he studies a paleontologist. Oh. Uh, he's a young guy. And... Um, he, I, I said this in the consequence write-up. This, this talk he gave m- meandered through so many different subjects, but was a fascinating narrative that, that touched on so many different aspects of history and culture um, and, and great thinkers of the 20th century and so on. Uh, it rivaled Brian Eno's. 2011 keynote at Moakfest wow. as far as like the ground it covered and the, the place it went and the big ideas that it had underneath it um, it's it's really hard to express it um, but but it was a fascinating journey and so I, I, I was really surprised by it and I, take, I should take this moment to say um, for the sake of reporting and, and getting accurate quotes and so on I actually did record a number of talks I recorded um the trans, the uh, the techno shamanism. I recorded Claire Evans' "The Futures on Man" talk. Um, I recorded uh, a talk with uh, Janelle Monae about the, uh, the the film she's going to be in in uh, early 2017, "Hidden Figures," which is about the uh, the women computers who uh, the black women computers who worked for NASA and eventually became engineers and and scientists within NASA, oh, wow. coming up from from absolutely nothing. That's awesome. Um, That's amazing. When the the space race made uh, the, the white patriarchy desperate enough uh-huh. that they would allow that to happen, and uh, and some of their finest mathematicians, so much so that uh, one of the main characters, um, even after the uh, that they had actual machine computers working. John Glenn insisted that she manually check his numbers before he made his his flight around the Earth because he, no. he wouldn't have any other way. He wasn't safe until she did it. Yeah. Could you just double-check those numbers <laughs> before we send me off into the outer atmosphere? Um, so, uh, Janelle Monáe did several, several talks. Um, I mean, I've... I've, I've I, so I, I've recorded these th- these things. I'll, let me say this, and then I'll move on to Janelle Monet, um, who is a fantastic performer who's never actually performed a, a musical performance at Moogfest, but has been has done talks in the, the past two years, which have all been great. Though I've never seen her live, and Janelle, please perform Moogfest. Yeah. I would really, really, really like to see you live. Seriously, it would mean a lot to me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so you recorded all these talks. I recorded all these talks, and. Um, they're in dubious audio quality. You can hear me uh, taking pictures during them and so on. Um, but you can you can clearly hear all the talks. Some of the Q and A is a little quiet when people ask questions. What I'm getting at is, uh, if you subscribe to us on Patreon, I'm just going to 
I'm just gonna dump them all on there. I'm gonna make oh, wow. all those available to you. Because um, I have them, and there's no better place. To, they're definitely not fit for, uh, yeah. for general consumption. Like, or, yeah, pub- well, publication. Yeah, I mean, ba- basically, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this is Nerdy Show. Look at the good quality of this recording from Nerdy yeah. Show. But it, it's an it's an archival recording, and hopefully you'll appreciate it. It's hours of hours of awesome talks. And great insight, and you'll get, you'll be able to actually get the gist of what I'm talking about. This crazy techno shamanism discussion. And, I need to hear this now too, and, so I'm gonna have to sign up <laughs> and, and, and hear all the brilliant stuff that Claire Evans had to say um, about history and and the the quirky weird shit that was happening in the '90s. Um, it's so so cool, um, as well as the keynote by uh, uh, Mar- Martina Rothblatt. Who uh, founded Sirius Satellite Radio and um, and is uh, you, you might you might probably know her as the the woman who is replicating her wife's consciousness um, as a, as a model for how we could all replicate our consciousnesses digitally as a, as standalone artificial intelligence Did she entities. Get into how that works? Because I um, still don't quite understand what she's the, doing. The process has been explained in, in other places, okay. and I'm not really uh, fit that's to fine. do that right no, now. No, but but you'll you might have heard of her doing this because in a, as a <laughs> to to create an interface for interacting with this uh, version of her wife who is alive. I might add, so this isn't some weird posthumous thing. Uh, she created a very realistic but quite unsettling. Uh, animatronic head deeply in the uncanny valley yeah um and the, then you saw her wife there i saw i saw her <laughs> wife and I, and I recognized her i was like like she looks just like it but Ugh. with you know realistic movement um uh, anyway janelle monet um hidden hidden figures it's going to be a fantastic film uh the screenwriter was there so it's um, a fictionalized account that she's starring in no no it's a, it's it, a documentary it, yes okay okay i mean but it is it <laughs> It is a non-fiction story. Yeah. And it's based on a non-fiction novel that is to be published this year by under the same name. Okay. But one of those fortunate opportunities where they actually managed to greenlight a film project before the actual f- book had been published. But this is, uh, you could call it um, a precursor to the Claire Evans book in that it covers a very specific portion of that overarching narrative of, of, of that 20th century secret history of, of women and computers. Um, and yeah, everything that they said uh, sounds like it's going to be fantastic. That's the short version. It's going to be good. Um, so one of the things, I, I, I don't want to jump around too much, but one of the things that surprised me. That's all me, we're doing here. I know, right? <laughs> it's early. Um, I had never heard, and this is embarrassing for me as an electronic musician, someone who really was deeply into this, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, I was exposed to newer electronic musicians that have come around since I kind of detached a bit from the scene. And the one that surprised me the most, and I did not even intend originally to go to this concert, but it was um, prior to the one I did want to see, Explosions in the Sky, which excellent, they call post-rock, sort of ambient, uh, guitar-led, you know, you know. Electronic, but not overly processed, very melodic, all that stuff. So I really was excited for them. But this group, uh, this guy, One Otrix, uh, Point Return, uh, like he performed, and I think I got his name right, I apologize if it's, it's One Otrix, something, something. Um, he performed prior to them, and it was after some other groups that we had seen that were very 
dissonant and complicated processing and and loud. And we mentioned Ben Frost specifically. Yeah, I will say that there's a lot of bands that are well, they're not bands. There's a lot of performance groups that are popular. I mean, like real popular. I'm talking huge crowds here. And uh, I don't get it. Well, and I didn't get him. Although uh, what what we found out later is that some of his stuff is more melodic. It's just that he he sequences this very loud sort of noise uh, well, palate I w- cleanser. I was seeing a lot of there was a lot of music where it seemed like their their actual art was not the sounds they were making but the vibrations that they were making. In fact, they talked a lot about that in the uh, master class that they did the next day, um, tactile uh, spaces uh, using sound pressure waves. And, and I think that's very fascinating. It just sounds like garbage. Yeah, well, from a, from a, from a music like purist perspective, it, it's, it's not. It's, it's something new. It's I, different. I should put on noise-dampening headphones. Oh, my and, God. And, 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 <laughs> just, and just let the air fornicate me. <laughs> Which it's basically doing all the time anyway, right? And incidentally, I have had that thought before. (laughs) And there, there is, there will, a short story will materialize at some point. Um, so, oh gosh. So, uh. But not, not me. Like, you know, it's a proper science fiction. Oh, of course. Um, Uh, so, so One Otrix came on later and they, Tim Hecker was the other artist, I believe, in, in that mix. And One Otrix, like. I read up on him after the show, and I, and I during the show at first I was sort of turned off by the noise quality, uh, in terms of it's just volume. Thank God I had earplugs that I got from going to the Sun O concert, which is a whole other thing. Um, but I actually really started digging what he was doing, and it was it, it, I later read what it, explaining what it was is taking like fake but like pop scraps, if you will, uh, cutting room floor items that, you know, pop stars might have had. He actually created all those original material and then processed it and made this sometimes very bizarre, sometimes very kind of, okay, I see what it is, and sang live through some distorted processing uh, on his mic, and it was just really kind of fascinating. So I This really, is one tricks. one tricks, and I was really... I really started to really dig it. That's a fascinating concept. I, I think that sounds that sounds awesome. It's like someone really just like chopping and screwing like Hatsune Miko or some like like commentary on the state of pop and then warping that pop. And that's exactly you know? what he was trying to do. In fact, so much so that like the album uh, has like, a character, uh, and the character is this like little girl pop star, and so. Even though the whole performance, though so he sang and did whatever, even in between songs, he talked through that distortion. I think, sort of in that character, uh, so it was fascinating. It was just sort of a different thing, and, and again, I had no idea, and it totally surprised me in a great way. Um, so you know, th- those kind of things, the Sun O thing. Just so you, you know, we talked about it, mentioned it. They are this group that does this sort of, sort of ritualistic. The word Satanist kept being thrown around, and I don't know, you know... I think it's just because they're wearing robes. Well, they're wearing robes, and they got amulets, and they're doing this dark, heavy drone metal. And I guess there are, and some of you listening may know, other drone metal bands. I did not, and I honestly admit, listening to it, even though I was up, you know, a ways away from the actual pit, was very loud... (laughs) 
and very um, drone-ish. So I, I, that was not a surprise because I had been warned. But um, it was a new experience for me, and I now know of a whole new genre that I, I had never heard of before. So, you know, this is the great thing about Moakfish. You go and And now I know to stay the hell away from it. Well, yeah, there's that. But, I mean, it exposes you to things, even by accident sometimes, that you would <laughs> never have encountered out there in the wild. Or you might have, but, you know, this is just a great chance to throw yourself into the mix. Yeah, and I mean, like, it is it is a, a fantastic collection of material. And, you know, Gary Newman did not surprise me that he put on a great show, but he did put on a great show. Yeah. I watched the, him perform the entirety of Pleasure Principle. It was wonderful. Um, speaking of, let's... It's been... Uh, you've been waiting a long time if you've been waiting for this, and I'm sorry. Let's cut now to uh, my brief interview with Gary Newman. Thank you, everyone. People like me get a, get a lot of credit for being pioneers and that kind of thing, of this kind of music. But it, for me, I went into a studio a long time ago, 1978, as a guitar player. And one of these was in the corner. And I pressed one key, changed my life. <laughs> so the genius behind this sort of thing isn't people like me at all. It's people like Bob Mo who make things like this. everything back then and continues to change things today and without these things people like Bobby still playing guitar wouldn't be doing anything different than I knew and it's this is groundbreaking and ground changing and this is what I'm grateful for and that's it thank you We've got a very special unit that we're here to present to you. This is one that was, um, correct me, Jim, this thing was built in the, at the show, right? Oh, yeah. So this is one that we built here by the folks that work at Mother Music from Asheville, North Carolina. They came up here. They're building these units here. This is your unit here. <laughs> at this point, I will turn it over to Cap. Well, congratulations, Gary. Thank you. Thank you. So, very grateful. Very grateful. This uh, model D is hooked up to play. If you have any interest in noodling, feel free <laughs> to go right on ahead. No, I swear to you, I noodle in private because I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you see this? When I first started using this thing that I mount like console, and you know, that, I had absolutely no idea what any of that meant. I still don't, really. <laughs> I'll be doing interviews with chat magazines at me, you know, so what do you think about this filter and that filter? I have no idea what they were talking about. I've been blagging it for 38 years. <laughs> These things, to me, are very important, but my interest in music is noise, sound, and it doesn't really matter to me whether it comes from a synthesizer, or where it comes from, I said this before actually, you know, dragging a bit of concrete across the ground and recording that. It's about making noises and then trying to find a way of turning that into music. So these are very important, but it's just as, in a way, it's just a small part of what we can do to create sounds and noises and just to think differently. It all starts from sound. Rather than technique, it starts from sound. And as I say, these are a very important part of that. But they are only a part of that. It sounds, I still love you. <laughs> it sounds like you, you work intuitively then. 
I'm a Jerusalem, I would say. <laughs> Do you recall the uh, the first mug you ever owned? Uh, yeah, one of these, actually. Uh, I, I made three albums before I could afford to buy one. I used to rent them. My total time on these after, I, I think I've written, I had two number one albums in Britain, and two number one singles, Cars and, and that would done its thing. But then the money still hadn't arrived, so I was renting these for so many hours a day. And my not knowing how they worked was a real problem, because I only had them there for a few hours. I had to try and quickly figure out, get some noises that I like, record them, because the van was coming to take it away. So it wasn't until, I think, the end of 79, and uh, the money started to arrive, and I started to tour properly. Um, and I had 10, I had 10 of these. <laughs> Uh, I had two kids players, I had two or three each. I had a couple down the front. Guitar player had one, even the drummer had one. Um, <laughs> bass player had one. And we had, I think, five poly moves. And, oh, it was amazing. 22 cents all running live on stage. And a man whose job was just to keep them running. That's all he did, fix them. But it was amazing. It was very exciting. Thing. That sounds brilliant. Now, you've been the progenitor for a great many synth bass artists. I'm wondering who you, who you think carries the Gary Newman banner the best? Like who who's derived their sound the most from you as as a Moog innovator here? Oh, I couldn't. I would never dream of saying that. Um, but in terms of who I admire, I would say Trent Reznor. Yeah. Yeah. He's very kind. What he says about me, and I'm very really grateful to him for it. But I think he took a spark from me and turned it into this whole different animal and took the whole thing. It still does, actually. You know, the, the man's a genuine genius, and he can play, <laughs> which makes all the difference, I think. But no, he would be the one. Now, you announced in April that you're working on a new record. Um, I'm sure it's still quite early, but what can you tell us about that project? It's really early. <laughs> uh, it's, um, I don't know, I, I, I kind of like the heavy industrial end of electronic music, you know, mixing it and merging it with the conventional instrumentation, but the, the electronic side of it is the core, obviously. Um, that's kind of the, the way it's going at the moment, but it is very early. I mean, I should, I should have had about 10 things ready by now, but I've got three, I think, so I'm way behind. I'll keep touring, I love touring, I, I go out and tour all the time, uh, and I miss it. This is, being out on the road, it is by far the most fun side of it. I think being in the studio is, is the most satisfying from a creative point of view, but there's nothing like being out on the road and traveling the world and having the excitement that comes from shows and so on, and turning those ideas that you've had in the studio into a reaction, an interaction between you and the people. It makes a massive, um, a massive, it's a massively different side of the business. And I, I do love them both, but I, I do miss trying when I'm not doing it. Gary, congratulations. Um, I hope you're going to put this uh, melody to, uh, to good use. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm, so, I'm so grateful for this. Thank you very much. That's amazing. Thanks to Moog Music. Thanks to Moog Fest. Thanks to Gary Newman for absolutely everything. Yeah. So that was me and, and my dear pal Gary Newman, uh, who is a really wonderful, nice guy. Um, I guess this is the point in time where we'll mention um, that Nerdy Show is entirely listener-supported. 
If you go to nerdyshow.com slash support, you'll find many ways to support us, among which are shopping on Amazon via our links. Anything you buy on Amazon via our links actually gives back to Nerdy Show. So if you want to follow up on any of the artists we've talked about in this episode, you can do that and give back to Nerdy Show at no extra cost to you. You're going to spend the money anyway. And hey, if you're like buying home items or anything else, you can actually bookmark our link as your Amazon link and thereby just shop on Amazon but always be giving to Nerdy Show. It's a very simple, convenient thing to do. You can also trick people <laughs> by the same method uh, to, to, to get to Nerdy Show. I which, might have done that with my parents. I'm so, so grateful to you. And now I know where all those dildo purchases have come from. <laughs> I'll say, on the matter of privacy, I cannot see who's buying anything, but I can see the types of products that are being purchased. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> and it's easy though. I mean, it's so easy. Like that's, I do that all the time, and it's like Amazon's getting your money. You're not doing anything out of the ordinary, just using a special link. So yeah, please. There's, buy some stuff. There's also a way to support Nerdy Show with no money whatsoever involved, and that is rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Rating is the easiest. It's just a five-star rating uh, for this show, the Nerdy Show Network's feed, or any of other shows on the network. Uh, and if you do choose to, you can also leave a review, which is even better because rating and reviewing on iTunes increases our presence on, um, on iTunes. And one of the things we're actually working towards, um, well, for you know, genuinely for all of our feeds if we can, but let's say for the Nerdy Show Network feed, which is, I think, about, we have uh, the network-wide feed that encompasses all the programming we release, has about 70-something, 80-something reviews and ratings. Um, If we get to 250, I know that's a little bit ways off, but if we get to 250, um, based on some stuff we've read, that puts us at at the next threshold of increasing return. So the amount of visibility that we hit at that point based on iTunes algorithms would be a magnitude increase Wow! Um, that would then get us even closer to, to bigger and better and better things. That's just so, for the ratings, right? Yeah. That's, 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 I mean, so, so you can please. give a review and that's still like that. That's yeah. even better. But if you can just go on and do a rating, that would be huge. Yeah, please. I mean, and, and for all the shows that you like on Nerdy Show, including mine, Flame On, do it as well, just because it, like you know, we all want to see more uh, visibility for these programs because we feel like we do pretty pretty good content. I mean, it, this this might be the exception <laughs> in the car. Yeah, this uh, if this is your first episode, congratulations on sticking with it this far. Don't, Thank you very don't much. Don't review this. this. It does not sound. This is not not even. We have a studio. This this does not sound like our shows. But seriously, this kind of programming, being a podcast enthusiast myself is rare to find and and when you do find these like gems of shows and networks like nerdy show you 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 gotta spread the word it really helps tell a friend you know post retweet repost reshare us on all your favorite social media sites that we're on you know just get the word out for us because we don't have a big marketing budget you know it's practically zero we're a a labor of love if, if you didn't know that already and these kind of things that are totally free really, really make a huge difference. Um, but if you do support us on Patreon, that is our number one source of income. It keeps the lights on and gives us the opportunity to incrementally grow at a slow and steady pace towards the opportunity to improve the network, to do new, new cool stuff. 
Um, and uh, we get we have a ton of perks available, um, including very soon, as of this episode's release, like I, I mentioned, the entire archives of all the, the conferences that I recorded at Moogfest. Um, so, yeah. Uh, there's, there's so much more where that came from. Um, now, we, we've talked about um, an, an awful lot. Yeah. An, I, an awful, awful lot. We've covered pretty wide ground. I did tease earlier buying a Moog, and I do want to just say that, like, one of the dangerous things about going to the show is this pop-up factory that they... And actually, this is the first time they've done a pop-up factory, because last time it was... Actual factory. Factory. <laughs> yeah. But the modular marketplace and the Moog factory, which this time, they the store part, they partnered with Guitar Center to do, which probably logistics-wise made things a lot easier. Um, they have all of their instruments. Pretty much anything they make that they have quantity in stock, you know, and they stocked up, you could get, you could get a Thera Mini, which I just checked online is actually out of stock in a lot of, uh, I think, one of the stores I looked at. And a Thera Mini is like a Theremin, but like a badass, uh, like, simple Moog Theremin. UFO. We, we, if you go back to our 26, 2014 coverage, we talked about this because I was obsessed. And so much so that I actually bought one shortly thereafter because they had not actually stocked it at that time, I believe. So they have those, and they had those in plenty. I saw lots of people coming out with those. But one of the things they introduced in the last two years um, is a new modular synthesis sort of entry-level uh, module called the Mother 32. We mentioned it earlier. And it is a very affordable, fully analog Moog modular synthesizer in the Eurorack format. I didn't know about Eurorack. I feel like I completely missed the boat on this technology and the standard. But now I have become obsessed and sort of fascinated by this very very inexpensive comparatively to the old ways of doing modular synthesis uh, patch cables uh, racks of, of knobs and lights and just fun and um, the, that marketplace you know they, they had that there and of course I was tempted it occurs to me these are very steampunk instruments like great yeah. there's no steam involved there's there's circuitry involved but the, the, involved. the, but they, the, the way they look the fact in the fact that you do patch together like an old telephone switchboard you know like it's it's a it's very yes it's an analog synthesizer it's not the digital keyboards that you know people, people are probably used to no and if it does support MIDI so MIDI is the standard that you use and it's, it's actually kind of an old school uh, five pin uh, serial cable but it does support that so you can connect it up to all of your digital devices and sequence with it and do all of those stuff but the really cool thing is that it is expandable and that you can buy additional modules from Moog or from many other companies that are all compatible, and then you can build this awesome sound and sequences of sounds with these different modules. So yeah, it's, you were making Zelda noises last night. I was having some fun with it, and it is always delightful when you're twiddling knobs to find a sound that you recognize because it's not like you're selecting pre-selected sounds. You're actually you're, modifying pitch you're, and amplitude. You're crafting that from like 30 different dials and settings and options. Yeah, and so when I came upon, just from just playing around, having a little bit of understanding of the theory, uh, but, but just, just diddling my knobs, if you will, late at night, <laughs> as, I, as I want to do sometimes, I found that sound, and I found a couple other I didn't share with you, but I mean, it, like, 
those are really cool moments. But the better moments are making new sounds that you've never heard before. And that's what Chiani got into with talking about the Bukla and her love now of these Moog. In fact, she played several of the mothers connected together uh, in a rack, which was just awesome. And it's, she produced amazing sounds. Like, I, someday I may come up with something, you know, comparable. But, um, yeah, so, like, that's a really another fascinating part of this convention. It's, again, financially dangerous for me to come to these places because this is the second time you know I'm two for two now I'm buying new synthesizer toys but uh, um, again it's just you don't get to play hands-on with Moog equipment ever really they don't happen showrooms as much unless you go to their factory nationally you're not going to get a chance and the, the showroom in, in this pop-up factory plenty of places to play and watch them build these awesome uh, synths yeah and it's it's cool. Trust us, it's cool. If, if you have no interest in music whatsoever, trust us, it's fun and weird. I can't play. I'm fucking rubbish. I've never had any formal musical training, and the stuff I do doesn't necessarily sound good, but I enjoy it. So <laughs> consider I that. Know. Now, I, on, in closing, I want to throw out something that I didn't have a chance to talk about in the Consequence of Sound article, which, again, I will refer you to, dear listener, um, because it has a lot more details and it's a little bit more concise than my scatterbrained sleep deprived bullshit I've been spewing right now um, but uh, there was there was a panel um, that Neil Harbison did with uh, he, he had um, his, his old pal pal Reba there um, with his painted toes with his painted toes chilling I did see him later in the festival and they were still painted so I was glad that they didn't just He's a cool guy. Yeah. I don't now, know. Let me talk about Pal Reba real quick. I, I don't I don't know much about him, but I know that he's he, he's an eclectic weird artist, and he actually discovered Neil Harbison because um, he saw Neil his wife saw Neil on TV, and she said, "Oh, come look at this." And and, and Pal had done a manifesto on the cyborg because he believes that in this modern world we are all cyborgs. Right now, you and I are mutually a cyborg. The, the difference is that Neil has. Um, uh, implants and everyone else in the world with a couple exceptions use explants so by by virtue of being in a car or having a watch or something uh, we augment ourselves in a way that we we rely on technology um, and and, and depend on it in in, in a symbiotic relationship in in a lot of ways but it, it's, the difference is it's it's really primitive. It's something we get into and out of and take on and take off and so on. But that like the the, the late twentieth century and on is uh, is a, is a society of primitive cyborgs. I mean, certainly our phones and our smartwatches now and the Google Glass type devices that I'm sure will resurface someday in a better form. Like <laughs> all of those things, iPods going a little further back, Walkmans. I mean, these are all enhancements to our senses, right? Yeah. So, of course, we're cyborgs. So, he did a panel. He moderated a panel. Um, and Pau does not... Um, he doesn't speak very good English. Uh, so, uh, he he didn't say much. He did he did read um, a piece he did on, on cyborgs. Um, and Pau Reba apparently has a Facebook page where his stuff is available to read in English, which is interesting. But they were on this panel with... Um, with three other guys, um, one dude, Daniel Locke, is a zoologist, and quite frankly, he hardly said a word, so I'm not even going to talk about him anymore. Um, but there were two dudes, uh, B.J. Murphy, an activist, and Rich Lee, a biohacker, 
aka Grinder, uh, for all you Doctor Sleepless fans out there. Um, and these guys, they really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, they they had some good points. They 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 didn't they weren't universally tools, um, but and and. Uh, BJ Murphy, he's fighting the good fight. He's he's considering that you know people who are augmented now are going to have a, as probably a certain degree of as much hate as, as transgender people are, are having. For I mean, for example, uh, he's a complete nut bar. But uh, the 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 the, poli- the 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 politician, um, the would be politician, uh, Andy D. Bull- uh, uh, what is it? There, there's a guy. There's a guy we talked about. I talked about a couple episodes ago on Nerdy Show. Basiago, Andy Basiago. He's a, a guy who's a write-in candidate who um, says that he's traveled through time in the past via government experiments. He's very. It's very fascinating. It's very fascinating stuff. It's a good read. Um, you're making a face now. I, I, I tr- have not heard this. Trust. Trust me when I say that you have to look this guy up because it is a f- everything he's saying is fucking hilarious and weird. Awesome. Um, but the one thing he said, like there, there were some moments where I'm like, oh yeah, I actually, you know, like in spite of all your crazy, I, I, I kind of agree with this point, except for this one thing, which is that he wants to, he wants to fight against the transhumanist agenda and preserve the sanctity of the human body. Oh lord. Now I'm not. I'm in no hurry to, uh, you know, to modify myself. With the exception of if there was some kind of a nano thing that could correct my, frankly, quite atrocious metabolism, I probably would. Because um, it's hard to be fit. I don't have a lifestyle for that. I don't know. It's got to be a full time. That's a whole other discussion. I will not go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, so um, how did I get there? So anyway, B.J. Murphy, Murphy, probably a good guy. But um, but but he and Rich Lee were kind of playing off each other in in, in a whoa we're about to hit a traffic jam. If you're wondering why the uh, the sound of the car is, is changing, it looks like it is a complete dead stop here. Yay! Yeah. Oh, but it's it's very brief. Like we're right we're right at the calamity. So we'll just see how long it takes for this to get cleared up. Um, huh, fun interactive podcasting. Great, hooray. Um, so, uh, Rich Lee. He is a belligerent atheist. He is a belligerent biohacker. He believes... Let me pull up the notes here. Um, he, he, he was saying things that did make sense. He was talking about uh, the, a future of hyperdiversity, where tech would be like tattoos, where people would customize their own, you know, lifestyles. You know, based on this, you'd go to a instead of going to a tattoo parlor, you would go to to a you know to a some kind of hack biohack parlor. Um, but he's got a lot of a lot of negative. I call him a cyber, cyber grump. Yes, that's exactly what you called him, and it was kind of hilarious when you he's came a, out of his talk. You're like, oh my god, Richly, you're a cyber grump, man. You got to lighten the fuck up, dude. I didn't buy what you were saying because you were such a douchebag about it. Um, and he was talking about the death of humanity. He was talking about how humanity has has shot the bed. We, and I mean, hey, we have. I ain't going to deny that. Uh, we're living in Florida. We're going to see global warming. We're going to stare <laughs> right front property, right in the face, motherfucker. So don't don't you fucking talk to me about that. But um, uh, but 
but that you know humanity as a species is is basically like humanity's garbage these are not his exact words uh there's we we've screwed up the only the only option is to uh his 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 perspective on on being a transhumanist is to say fuck you to humanity and all that we've done you're, you're garbage and uh and I'm going to forcibly evolve myself to something better than you and and that that evolution will come through biohacking now uh I feel like that's there's there's some there's some aspect of that, that I just quite don't don't get because if the meat that you're augmenting is still human meat I don't feel like you've really transcended if you can't pass your augmentations genetically down to your descendants and then maybe someday you could and and, and he was talking about genetic modification okay. in, in, to some degree but but you know I don't know it was it was very frustrating bit of a, bit it, of a downer a bit of an angry you know and there was an audience member who said hey hold on a second what you're talking you're talking about going to space you're talking about the necessity of of like how people can't this is a very interesting point they made that that, that uh, the only op- the only real option for humans to live in outer space is for technological and, and biological augmentations because there's just there's some there's some things that happen in microgravity that just disturb the human body for long long periods of time and that made a lot of sense okay so we're gonna have to like genetically augment hum- humans or maybe make a, a stash of replicants and get a, a Roy baddies up there um, <laughs> you know causing trouble. Uh, and and I don't remember where I was going with that shit. I'm, no, this I'm guy fading. Was grumpy. No, right, he was grumpy. He was, he was grumpy. But um, uh, I'm I'm man, I, I I'm sorry, guys. Like, I'm I'm legitimately stumbling through the darkness here of my own of my own mind. But um, well, I'm also fascinated by the spectacle around us as cars peel off the road and go back to the other interstate that's nearby because this traffic jam is not moving uh yay yay driving yeah um, so so in like yeah I don't know oh right wanna... audience member that yes. was a thing oh, audience Audi- they're oh, like he challenged them uh, yeah they're like they're, I, I think i can't remember this audience member was like look you're talking about going to space trauma and all this stuff you're talking about privilege like this is this is this is a a privileged thing now like you've got you're talking about your sci-fi fantasy we have a response going off into space abandoning earth because that's what they were basically saying like we got to go into space like we fucked earth we got to we got to augment the fuck out of ourselves and go into space now hold on a second that doesn't make sense and this person was saying what i was thinking of like we we have a planet that we have harmed egregiously right but it's perfectly good and there's and if we have the technology to augment our bodies to the point that you're saying we have a responsibility to at least try to fix, fix our, our home base yeah, yeah, exactly. as we expand simultaneously. There's no reason we can't do all this at once. Right. But then also you're talking about this like like shitty boy science adventure fantasy that you've got here <laughs> uh, of going off into space and that you're talking you're saying and you're saying, like belligerently saying in some in some respects, and again, they did make good points on occasion, but that, that that's the only option. Yeah. That that's that that's the future. Yeah, I know, and it's nonsense because, like you said, I mean, you read sci-fi books where Earth is now lost because humanity abandoned it, um, and then you come back and hey, it's a paradise again because humanity left it and they left it alone and it healed itself. But I mean, the fact that we're here now and we're here 
for the foreseeable future, let's be honest, this isn't going to happen overnight that these these uh, spacers, you know, I think to borrow Asimov's term, <laughs> are going to go off and do their thing. Like, you have to work with the planet you got. And right now, that's what we have, and we need to deal with it. So that's, I'm glad someone challenged him on that. And it is it, privilege, it, because, you know, yeah, you can afford and you can prioritize this, but there's so many people who can't and need that uh, it, it, planet. Here, here's a <laughs> shitty rebuttal he, uh, to, to a point similar to this. Or maybe exactly this point. He said technology has a bit has had a bigger impact on society than ideology ever had. He was saying like, you know, like fuck, fuck your, you know, like your belief system, your good nature, anything going on. The only, the only thing, you know, like humanity's goodness or or kindness doesn't matter. It's it's only our technology, and it's an interesting point to make. It's a very bold statement. It might not even be his. I, mean, I, I have quote marks on it. These are my my really sparse notes here. Um, and uh, but and he did make an interesting his their rebuttals to to that question sucked, quite frankly. Uh-huh. And Neil was really passive during this whole thing. Those those two dudes had uh, uh, were were the the dominant personalities in the room, um, but they did have he. He did have an interesting point in that um, uh, distribution in the future, no, he said, no matter the schism, rich and poor, military and civilian, when we find something profound, profound new technology, I promise we're going to fucking steal it. <laughs> so saying that, like, even if we hit, like, substantial class divide and, you know, mass poverty and so on, that that biohacking will persist because the like good technology will fall in the hands of the hackers sure. and so on and so forth. But like, you know, I also got to say, you know, if we're, if we're, I, I don't know. He, he's like, it's like he's determined to live on the fringe and insist that we all must as well. Um, well, he's one voice in the wilderness. Yeah. Thankfully, I don't think he's in the majority. But what, what I, what I did like was that, uh, uh, Martin Rosenblatt had, and and just like that, the traffic is gone. Whatever the fuck it was, I, and I see nothing. Yeah, there's no evidence. Inexplicable. Just stop and now go. Really bizarre. Yeah. And it was a dead stop. Dead stop. Um, uh, she she had a a much more interesting perspective because you know she's talking about uh, humanity ascending to a point beyond the flesh completely, like um, and whereas we don't necessarily have the infrastructure for that yet, she's a woman who has crazy crazy ideas but has been her entire life said that's a crazy idea and you can't fucking do it and then she's done it why exactly and and Chiani said the same thing uh every time she put her own barriers up not not other people telling her no which happened as well but she would set her own things like oh i'll never do this i'll never be that i'll never get this and time and again like show that that was like never say never basically you never know what's going to happen and even the craziest ideas are possible and again that's what Moogfest emphasizes these people who just from sheer force of will you know a little bit of luck sprinkled in have been able to make transformative artistic statements or technological statements and they want to just share that as both sharing their own work so people can can find out about it, but also share that spirit of 
of inventiveness and, and like, hey, anybody can do this. You know, you just have to find the time and find the willpower to, to, to do something. And it, to me, it's very inspiring. As, as a on-again, off-again creative person, uh, musician, uh, writer, whatever, it makes me want to spend my time more productively back home. Yeah, you know, and really re- it re-energizes me. Mofest is an event based on inspiration. Yeah, exactly, like it is. It is made to inspire. It is. It is legitimately because I've met many people who run it. It is legitimately an altruistic festival. They're not like they're not like Coachella and shit. You know that, that have those those Budweiser contracts and everything. Right, like having guitar guitar center help them run their store is. Probably the most like, like just yeah, it was like, like network promotional thing that they had going on there, and and you know money is important, and and if you got to promote, you got to promote. But like, I mean, they're not. I don't think they're they're turning down money, but they are, they are first and foremost about about the experience and about what people can take away from it, and that's why Mogfest is a great thing. And hopefully, you've enjoyed listening to this crazy uh, <laughs> rambly episode. I I know I know for a fact that. Um, that our numbers on these kind of shows aren't very high. Uh, but for those of you who do listen to it, uh, I'm glad you did. Let us know what you think. And uh, and if you know anybody who, who might be interested in this, please please do share it. In closing, don't forget to support Nerdy Show. Nerdyshow.com slash support for all those necessary links on how to do the things that we talked about earlier. And uh, taking us out is Neil Harbison and Paul Reba with their performance of A Cyborg's Synesthetic Pedicure.
Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network. And there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all of your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.